This is episode 2-3 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, February 28, 2012. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. And uh, we're still going through Boston talks. People are going to be mad. I don't think they're going to be. Well, some people will be mad. Some people are always mad. So, uh, so we were going to do. We'll let people know that uh, Dave Neary wrote an article about his talk. But the audio for his talk, it, it's he did a lot of audience interaction, which was really good on site. Yeah. And it made the talk very good, except that. We were not miked uh, for on-site audience interaction talks. And he didn't repeat what the audience members had said, which probably would have slowed down the discussion. Yeah. And not been as good in person, but it was really hard to figure out what the conversation was about. Yeah, there's lots of places in the audio where there's a long segment that you can uh, you can barely hear or almost not hear at all. And then Dave says, yes. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, uh, so we we're going to send that over to producer Dan and ask him if it's usable. Since there was an article that came out of it, we may be able to do excerpts from it and still make a part of a show. We're going to research that. Uh, but in the meantime, we're not going to do Dave Neary's talk next uh, because of that, which we were hoping to do. Yeah, I also want to apologize for the last episode. Uh, when we recorded, we recorded separately and I didn't realize that my mic gain was so bad. And so I'm sorry for everyone who listened to the last episode and had to listen to my terrible, terrible audio quality. I'm so sorry. Well, uh, that's not a problem now. No. Well, now we're in person in the same place. <laughs> so, uh, and we're not even at the cow working facility, so there's, no, <laughs> there's no weird people saying weird things uh, next door. And uh, we're going to move to John Sullivan's talk. And the reason was there was some press interest, I guess, about this talk. So we wanted to get this one out um, so that folks can hear it. And maybe there'll be articles. So we'll send it to the press people who are interested in it. And maybe they'll write articles. And if they are, we'll link to them in the show notes. If they don't, well, you're hearing John's talk anyway. So you can write, you can go write an article about it. You, the I, listener. I encourage you to, in fact. <laughs> well, and so, and so it, it, the talk is about, uh, is it titled, Is Copyleft Being Framed? Uh, and John uh, says in the beginning that his uh, mother is a professional framer. Oh, don't, come on. So, that's exciting. Come on. You okay. don't ruin his jokes. Oh, okay. Well, that's, uh, uh Okay. People, people are going to listen to it. We'll just let, just listen to it. Okay. That's fine. So the, the one audio thing I should note for people is that there, there is that audio buzz because I had a laptop plugged in at the very beginning. I'm sure Dan will do his best to get rid of it, but it is relatively strong for the first maybe minute and a half or two minutes. And then it goes away because the laptop gets unplugged. So, <laughs> um, so if, if you hear that and it's starting to annoy you, know that it's going away pretty soon. Uh, and Dan's probably going to do some effort to get rid of that anyway. Uh, he can't work perfect magic. He's only, he can only be as good as whatever source recordings we give him. Uh, but he can do some uh, cleanup. So it might not be as bad as I'm saying now. But it might be there. So. And we have the slides. And the slides. And you should probably follow along, particularly as you get about halfway yeah. through the talk. Uh, the slides are really going to become necessary. They're not as necessary in the beginning uh, mm -hmm. when it, when John gets started, uh, like when he's telling the joke that I just ruined um, for him. <laughs> but, uh, you know. It's, I think you didn't tell enough that it's. Okay. So, um, 
so so but but as you get about halfway through you're going to start to want the slides in front of you uh, because he starts talking about numbers uh, that he got. And, and so you'll want to see the numbers because it's a lot easier to follow. Yep. So uh, so with that, uh, make but a plan. If, if you can't listen to the slides, you can still follow what's going on. I actually listen to the whole thing without slides, and that's what I'm making this advice based on. I listen so. to half without, or like, uh, yeah, I listen to a bunch without slides, and then I brought up the slides. You can also list, look at the slides afterwards if, if that's, you know. Yeah, it's not going to ruin. It's just if you're driving. Yeah. You know, I think it I think you can still follow. Well, don't what's going be on. driving because that's bad for the environment. Some people need to drive. They don't need to Occasionally drive. Occasionally you you drive. Well, well, only by accident. Like when I accidentally ran a car. <laughs> I accidentally rented a car recently while traveling. I I thought I booked the wrong hotel and uh, I thought it was screwed and I wasn't because I didn't book the wrong hotel. So that was even worse. Yeah. Where through poor research, you wound up renting a car that you didn't it's, even It's all need. because you shouldn't get internet access on planes. <laughs> the funny thing is, is flying on a plane is much worse than driving a car. Well, I think... I don't, I don't want to evaluate this. Anyway, we should... Well, I, no, I used... I did, I did this. this. Let's get off topic. So, um, I, I did this with <laughs> You a, only want to get off topic when you get off topic. That's true. What do you want to get off topic about something I, right now? I wanted to get to John's talk. <laughs> so, I did one of these calculations of your your um, environmental impact, and just six flights uh, across U.S. a year was enough to equal somebody who drives to work every day. Every day? That's what it said. I was surprised. Wow. Then we're really, yeah, bad. We're really bad. Yeah, I'm bad for. The, I'm pretty bad for the environment. I feel horrible about that. So I think I have to stop traveling. I guess I don't know. Mm. Or buy carbon offsets. I was on a flight recently. They were selling carbon offsets. Huh? KLM sells you carbon offsets. That's interesting. On the flight, it's like part of the duty free things you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's carbon great. offsets. I think that's really cool. I, I guess I don't actually believe that carbon offsets work, but I don't know that they fully work. But it's probably better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, giving to environmental charities is is useful as an offset, but in any event. Okay. So this is John Sullivan's talk is copy left being framed from Fosdem 2012 Legal and Policy Issues Dev Room. And with that, I'm going to introduce John Sullivan, who is the executive director of the Free Software Foundation, and he's going to tell us why or if copyleft is being framed, and if so, I hope you'll tell us by whom. Uh, hello. Um, I don't want the title to be too much of a letdown. I'm not going to expose any grand conspiracy here. Uh, I'm just kind of fascinated by the word framed and framing. Um, for starters, my mother is a framer, professionally. Uh, but also because of the different meanings that it can have, you know, the framing in terms of the context of a discussion, the framing in terms of attempting to deliberately influence that context to achieve something, uh, to set somebody up for a crime. So that's the title that, that came to my head. Um, Bradley said I'm the executive director at the FSF. I've been in that position since just last March, uh, but I've been doing various jobs for the FSF since 2003. Uh, unfortunately, despite my presence in this room, none of those have been being the licensing person at the FSF. Um, that would be Brett Smith, who I would greatly encourage you to talk to you if you have uh, questions that require a high degree of license foo. Um, but obviously, I, I do have a good familiarity with our licenses and uh, the reasons why we use them, so that's more what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, I'm also a pretty jet lag coming from the U.S. yesterday, and I'm about to talk about some numbers. And since I'm a poetry person and not a numbers person, that's dangerous. You should definitely keep an eye on me and check my work. 
uh, this presentation kind of grew out of a, a reaction that I was having to the press that I've seen go by in the last couple months about use of the GPL declining. Uh, some people have been writing, publishing, saying that the percentage share of GPL licensed programs and the overall pool of free software has been declining. And then other people, not the original people who produced that data, but other people have been then taking that, those numbers to extrapolate to different conclusions about the FSF, such as uh, the FSF is uh, doing a bad job at different things, or the FSF is uh, you know, GPL3, GPLV3, pushed people away, these kinds of conclusions. So as I was mulling them over my head, I wanted to present our position and, and our interpretation of the data and what we think these numbers actually mean in terms of our goals as an organization. And following this, you might have seen from the program, Richard Fontana will be giving a presentation on a similar topic, uh, but I think that he has uh, funnier slides and also more you told me about. And subtle logic as well. Uh, license debate as a whole. Um, despite the fact that we are you know, in the licensing and, and legal dev room at the conference, I think it's important to keep in mind that, that laws and licenses are only tools that we use to achieve specific objectives in the, in the free software world. Um, you know, there's times when we have to talk about the specifics of the legalese, but we should keep in mind the overall frame that the purpose of the license, like the GPL, is to get free software out there to make sure it stays free and to make it possible for people to do everything that they need to do with a computer using only free software. Now, those are all our goals as an organization. So we don't really care intrinsically how many people are using the GPL. We, we care how many people are making free software and using free software. Uh, it's an important tool for us to achieve. That's why it was created. To achieve those goals, that's why it was created. But it's not the end in and of itself. Uh, nonetheless, people like to talk about the popularity of different licenses, um, who uses them, uh, why different licenses might be popular. Um, and that is kind of an interesting thing to talk about, I think, at least you know, intellectually. You can see maybe what types of legal features provided by different licenses are more popular than others. And maybe that can inform us so we can help produce better licenses in the future. Um, and sometimes they do indicate an affiliation with the organization, uh, both positive and negative. I can tell you at the office we get lots of calls from people that are very angry at us because they downloaded some piece of software that I've never heard of, but it has our license on it. And so they call our office and demand their money back. Um, so there's that association. There's also the positive association that people choose to use the GPL uh, because they like the Free Software Foundation and they like the new and they want to continue that tradition. Um, I definitely respect that uh, feeling, but I think that when it comes down to it, that my unscientific speculation anyway, is that the organization behind the license actually turns out to be a somewhat unimportant factor when people are deciding the license. There's lots of other factors, like it's the one that's already used by the project they're contributing to. Um, and at the FSF, we strongly encourage people to not you know, try to impose license changes when making a contribution, unless there's a very good reason to do so. Uh, also, because they just like the license, they think it's fair, it does what they think a license should do. Um, it's compatible with other code that they want to work with. You know, so if you're working with a code base and you're writing a plugin, you you know you need to use a license that's compatible with the original code base, that sort of thing. Uh, or maybe it's just the first choice when you're starting a new project on Google Code or SourceForge or Savannah, um, and you don't really care that much about what the license is. Could be the business model for corporations. Um, could be what the lawyers tell them to use for corporations or for uh, nonprofit and individuals. Or maybe it's just shorter. Um, I think lots of those factors can be more important than just the name that's on the license when, when somebody chooses it. 
what license popularity um, doesn't show, therefore, is uh, which license is the best. You know, popularity um, doesn't, as we all know from our parents telling us endlessly, popularity doesn't mean that something is right. Uh, it doesn't show whether the FSF is successfully creating, helping to create a free software world. Because, <coughs> like I said, the GPL is a, a means to an end. It is not the free software world in and of itself. And popularity of a license certainly doesn't show whether people at the Mozilla Foundation are smart. Um, they are. <laughs> the, uh, so, the GPL and the FSF. Uh, popularity doesn't matter, but of course, you know, we cite numbers um, at the FSF about how many people use the GPL, and I'm about to cite some more numbers about that. But the reason we do it is because it's a part of our role. We've, uh, we've created a license, we've put it out in the world, um, and we've committed to the people that use it that we will help improve the license, uh, we'll help people use the license, you know, we'll answer their questions about it. Um, we do that as a complimentary service for any free software developer, um, and also as a paid service for companies who um, need to cooperate with the free software community. Uh, and obviously we take the, the job of enforcing the license very seriously. So the, the number of people using the license is certainly of interest, and it's something that we talk about, but it's in the context of that role and how where that role fits into our work as an organization. It's, it's not to show that we are winning against other free software licenses. Um, the FSF promotes all free software, and that includes free software that's licensed in a, a permissive or a lax way that doesn't have a copyleft uh, protection on it. Of course, we think that the GPL is the best license and to achieve the free software goal in most cases. Uh, we do sometimes recommend other licenses in specific cases. There's an article by Brett Smith that I'd suggest you read um, if you haven't seen it yet, the URL down at the bottom there, and that talks about um, situations where it might actually be appropriate to not use a copyleft uh, and the reasons behind that. Uh, yeah. Just FYI, in case you're wondering what actually shows the health of the FSF, uh, we're doing great. We just concluded a very successful fundraiser, 423 new members. Now into the actual numbers um, about the GPL adoption and, and usage now. So uh, some of the most common licensing numbers that we have out there are provided by a company uh, who does not publish their methodology. So um, I'm not here to criticize the company for anything, but I, I think it's pretty clear that if you don't publish the methods that you use to generate the data, then that's not any kind of scientific you know, conclusion that we can rely on. Um, it could be good or it could not be, but without knowing the ways in which different projects are counted to see which license uh, they use and that sort of thing, there's really not a way to know how reliable that data is. Uh, FlossMole is a project which does publish its methods um, and they, you can click around on the website and see very specifically where they get their data from. And I didn't get to spend as much time looking through that as I wanted to before this, but it's definitely of interest. I'm going to keep an eye on it. And uh, it has the advantage of being actually, you know, uh, something verifiable that other people can reproduce the conclusions from without um, just taking it as a matter of trust. You can see some of the questions just that I came up with um, brainstorming about possible problems with data, about which projects use which licenses. You know, are we counting just any free software project on the web? Uh, whose list of licenses are we using to decide whether a project is um, free or not? Are we just talking about all licenses, period, not just free software licenses? Are we talking about projects that are active by some measure, projects that have had recent commits? Um, are we talking about big projects, small projects? In the small project area, are we including mobile applications um, in the count? Because uh, it seems that those are following a very different uh, licensing pattern from other applications. 
are we talking about lines of code under a particular license, or are we talking about individual programs as entities, uh, just you know, everyone being equal in terms of the counts? Um, you know, obviously, uh, a large program, thousands of lines of code being under a license. Uh, in a lot of license studies, that counts just the same as uh, GNU Hello, uh, which is a very short program uh, under a license. So that doesn't, if you're trying to measure um, something, you're trying to draw conclusions, that doesn't seem like a, a very strong way to go. But nonetheless, I'm going to do that as well. Uh, and lastly, um, packages with multiple licenses. Uh, many programs have, um, for example, are available to you. jQuery is available to you under the GPL or a uh, permissive license, uh, non-copyleft license. Um, you know, Mozilla programs are available under um, a few different licenses. So are we counting, you know, which one of the licenses are we counting or are we counting each one of them in the overall uh, aggregate? And that means you have to keep in mind that when we look at license totals percentage-wise, that can actually add up to more than 100% because you could have, you know, several programs all with a, a share, several licenses all with a share. Why didn't you say the name of the company who publishes the unreliable studies? Oh, why didn't I say the name? The company is Black Duck that people are cited. Say it again? Black Duck. Yeah. I'm not saying the studies are unreliable. I'm saying that yeah, we need to see the, the methodology behind them. And I think it would be really cool if they would publish that. Uh, let's say the data does show that um, there's a decline in the usage of the GPL. What, what kinds of things would that show? Well, the first thing it would show is there's more free software out there uh, by the numbers that I've seen because all of the numbers, even the ones that are being cited to show a decline in the GPL, percentage-wise, are showing that in absolute terms, both non-copyleft and copyleft uh, software programs are increasing. There's more of both. Uh, it's just that the claim is that the permissive non-copyleft licenses are growing at a faster rate than the GPL license programs. So, uh, and this, these first two things are related. You know, the second one is that um, we have more corporations involved in doing free software, but they may be encouraging their contributors uh, or licensing their projects um, in a way that uh, still lets them make proprietary software. Um, like uh, Michael Meek said earlier, one way to do that is through contributor license agreements or copyright assignments, but another way is just to ensure that the software is licensed um, without a copyleft so that they can make it proprietary if they want to. And the last reason is one of the more troubling ones to me, and I, I hope to be able to look into this uh, in research terms more because we are seeing a lot of applications distributed for mobile devices through, through uh, walled garden uh, distribution systems, especially Apple's App Store. And these distribution systems include uh, agreements, terms that prevent copyleft software from being distributed through them. So, you know, if, if those are popular platforms, then that's going to have an impact on the number of copyleft licenses used because people may feel that in order to be distributed widely, they have to choose a, a permissive license rather than a copyleft license. Um, and that's something that would trouble us at the FSF because while we, you know, we support free software, whether it's licensed, copyleft, or not, uh, we don't support the idea that that choice is being forced by essentially, you know, proprietary terms on the distribution method. That's something that we would you know, definitely and have worked against. Um, I don't know. I know that some of these terms have been updated recently, so um, I'm not too up to date on uh, whether other mobile distribution markets are in conflict with copyleft, um, but. I know for sure that Apple's still is. There's a recent change that allows GPL for the App Store. Uh, there's been disagreement about that. Um, so uh, we I would. We into that yesterday together with the uh, special interest group on App Stores. Of oh, yesterday? Yes. Oh, well. We came to the conclusion that 
to a certain extent, mm -hmm. you can put copyleft stuff now in Elsevier. Okay. Well, I'll have to look at that. Um, I know that not everybody agreed with us when we said that the distribution wasn't allowed to begin with, so I'm, I'm a little wary, but uh, it, if it's something explicit, then it might have changed the situation. It explicitly mentions that you are allowed to use GPL, mm -hmm. but that should not lead to uh, Apple uh, being obliged to publish any source code of them. And well, also this. <laughs> 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 this sounds a little fishy. Uh, I mean, well, it is fishy. Yeah. So um, I, I don't want to get too much into this particular topic because there's a whole panel coming up on uh, App Store um, uh, licensing. But I do want to say that one of the, you know, just to give a basic idea of where the conflict comes from, to distribute in the App Store, you sign an exclusive agreement that says you won't distribute anywhere else, and then Apple won't distribute the source code. So if you can only distribute in one place, and that one place doesn't allow you to distribute the source code, um, you know there's a, a conflict. So there's, you know, it's a lot, like the presentation earlier was maybe is often the answer from the lawyers, but uh, it looks pretty pretty bad to us. So obviously these first two things are are wins for free software uh, because well I won't say obviously, but to us they're they're wins for free software because it means there's more people producing free software and the companies involved while they may not be using copylefts. Uh, and it may be a more tenuous kind of progress because non-copyleft software can be um, turned into proprietary software. It could be that they're making it free instead of making it proprietary to begin with. Um, and that's a, something that we can use then to grow the free software community even if they decide to take it back. Well, not take it back, but make feature versions proprietary. So uh, now I'm going to go through some of the research that I did. Um, I looked at the numbers of licenses used for packages in Debian, uh, GNU Linux, and I chose Debian. I'm just going to promise you that I did not look at the conclusions first before selecting the distributions to look at. Um, and I didn't choose it because I want to necessarily promote the distribution. The FSF um, promotes distributions like Triscoll and, and GNU Sense because they are committed to only distributing um, free software. But uh, Debian is obviously a mature distribution. Um, and it serves as the basis for a lot of other distributions, including those two I just mentioned, GNUSense and, and Triscoll. It's the work that makes these distributions possible. Uh, but I don't think the distribution, the results here would be different for other distributions. I would be interested to, to see them, but, um, you know, the GNU Linux distributions across the board have a large overlapping body of software in them. So I would be surprised save the distributions that include, you know, uh, pr prominently a lot of proprietary software in them, those would obviously be different. But among the ones that do have mostly focused on free software, I would expect the numbers to be about the same. Um, the other interesting thing about looking at a distribution is that you know you're looking at software that's been vetted to some extent. You know, you can't just put a package up on the web and have it be in Debian. People have actually looked at it, um, and if it has too many bugs, it won't be there anymore. So it does solve some of the issues that I listed about problems with data. Um, you at least have some metric for criteria, some criteria for whether you're counting a program or not. But obviously it still doesn't answer some of the other questions I raised. I'm still looking at all packages as being equal, not at lines of code. Um, still, uh, and the other thing to know is that I am, let's see, is that the next slide? Yeah, method, right. I just wanted to thank uh, one of our activist Jason Self for helping to generate this data. Um, it was generated with a script that was written by Russ Albury for Debian in 2010. Um, and uh, I just had some useful help from uh, Luca, one of the FTP master assistants to uh, for Debian's also look at the results and double check them. 
uh, he did it a slightly different way, which did produce slightly different results. Uh, so I looked at binary packages, and he looked at source packages. But the results, so the, the results only differed by a few percent. But that is also a factor. A uh, one source package can generate many binary packages. So I am overcounting the licenses in some cases. Uh, and I want to look into that more. But what I saw so far from what he did was that they didn't differ by too much. And in theory, that doesn't particularly favor the GPL or any particular license. It just means that you're overcounting all licenses. If anything, it probably favors uh, non-copyleft licensing because the think about the programs that are big and split up into lots of binary packages. A lot of them are things like XORG uh, that are licensed under non-copyleft licenses. So I started with the Sarge release um, because part of this discussion in the media has been about the effect of GPL, GPL v3. And so I wanted to make sure and go back and get some data from before GPL v3 was released. Um, that was 2007. There were two Debian releases before that, but uh, one was very shortly before it. So I went back to Sarge. And we're talking here about the whole GNU family of licenses, GPL, LGPL, AGPL. Because the reason I made that choice was because that's what the data that's being cited to show the decline is also looking at. Um, not just the GPL, but the other licenses as well. Uh, the, I'm using standard Debian, I mean, standard Debian tools for this, um, written by Debian people. Uh, but uh, it's still a script that could have some bugs in it. Um, I hope that, you know, if some of this data was a little bit shocking to me, so. I hope that people can look at it, and it, this is essentially a challenge to find issues with it so that we can get at better numbers. Well, uh, one uh, restriction that you're effectively placing on the packages you look at is, mm -hmm. is that, I mean, it's only open source software that's distributed through Debian packages. Yeah. So it, it, it discounts a lot of other, um, like, for instance, uh, way Python packages are distributed, or Perl, or, or this mm -hmm. thing, you're missing out on a lot of those that aren't yeah. yeah, that's right. And I was trying to, you know, cop to that earlier by saying that this does limit the number, but also, you know, that framing provides an advantage uh, because you're answering a lot of questions which with the other data are unknowns. So Yeah, it's much easier to do the analysis. Yeah. But and the other thing I forgot to mention that you reminded me of was that an important factor of this is that this is only software that runs on a free operating system. And one of the major uncertainties that I've been wondering about data I've I've seen is that, you know, are we counting, for example, uh, all of the, you know, are, what what is the the meaning um, conclusion wise when you're looking at packages that run on programs that run on proprietary operating systems only, uh, and then talking about whether the license under the GPL or not? It's you know what conclusions are you drawing from that data? I think it's important to know that and that those numbers don't necessarily mean the same thing. If I can just come back on what the server went over there said, um, I'm not much of a Python programmer, but I do know that pretty much. Every CPAN module that you're likely to want to use um, is in Debian as a package. So we are counting certainly a good subset of, of CPAN. No, I think it depends quite how obscure you want to go, but it's not the case that, uh, you know, for example, things like CPAN or the Python add ons and so forth are not. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's right. I mean, that's the. That, but I, mean, I think that he's right too that you, you either open the door or you don't. And I think there are a lot of modules for different languages out there that are written that are not packaged for distribution. So are you going to open the door and include anyone that you can find with a web spider? Or are you going to have some kind of limit on the data? So I, I chose the route of having a limit on the data. 
uh, multiple licenses, like I said, and a binary thing. We talked about it, and it's my first real look at this data. So, you know, I, I'm actually trying to open a conversation here so that people can work and get better numbers. Um, I'm not trying to, because you'll see some of this stuff is surprising. Sarge, uh, 2005, um, GPL family of licenses was 71% of the total packages in Sarge. Etch, 2007, 77% of the total packages, which is a 6% increase. Um, and as you can see, you know, you're, well, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Lenny, which is the first release. What? No, that's not right. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, so that's what I was talking about when Etch was released only like two months before GPLv3 was released. And so Lenny, despite the fact that it was in 2009, was actually the first release after GPLv3. Uh, so despite you know some of the discussion that happened around and debate that happened around GPLv3, we see a 10% increase in the GPL family of licenses to up to 87% of the total packages. This is the part where it starts to get a little bit crazy. So did you look at whether the increase was coming from new packages or packages that were changing on? Uh, I did not look at that specifically, but you can get some idea by looking at um, you can make a guess, you know, based on the number of new packages versus the increase in the, in the percentage. Um, we uh, we were discussing how much of this might have come from what the script does is it goes into the packaging, the copyright file that comes with the package, and it uh, well it looks for two things. One is a symlink um, because in Debian packages are symlinked to a common license file if they use one of the most common licenses, so you can count the symlinks very reliably. Um, and then the other thing it does is but not everybody uses the symlink. So the other thing it does is go into the uh, copyright file itself and look for the license field and what it says and just uses a regular expression match on that because people don't necessarily type GPL the same way. Um, so there's been some discussion about uh, has the, that formatting gotten more reliable over time so that you know, you're counting uh, licenses better or has looking at that led to discoveries about the copyright status of the package that weren't known before, and so the file's been updated as a part of formalizing uh, the file format. You know, those are open questions, but I don't think they benefit the GPL numbers in particular. Um, my, my fundamental problem is you're, you're counting all packages of the Debian distribution. Right. All of them. Right. Uh, wouldn't it make sense to have a defined profile for uh, desktop use, for server use, etc.? based on packages that are typically used yeah. and not no. all packages. I think that would be very interesting. And one thing I wanted to do that I didn't get to was to count the, the license numbers in the default distribution, for example, the default install. Um, but I think the categories you're talking about would also be of interest. Uh, but again, I think that having a, a limit makes the data more meaningful um, than other data, which has no limit and is counting <laughs> not software used for particular purposes, but just all software that can be found and then ruling out some cases they don't want to consider. So um, one thing that I noticed from your methodology is that you would count a package as, in some sense, licensed under the GPL family if it contained any GPL code in it at all. Mm -hmm. um, right. So if a package had like one or two files that were GPL that was otherwise permissive, mm -hmm. you would count it as a GPL program. That's right. And of course, we don't know how many packages were in this state or whether people are discovering little GPL files in programs that are otherwise thought to be permissive or something like that. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely true. Um, as far as I know, that's also true of the data that uh, claims to show the opposite conclusion. Um, but uh, you know, I. Um, These are pretty striking numbers. 
but with the GPL, it's kind of weird, right? Because there's there's a limit to that situation because you you can have a GPL. Obviously, you can aggregate a GPL program with within a with a program that is not copyleft, but there's a, a limit on that relationship. So you know, the number is not going to be that high because if a program has a, a tight relationship with a GPL file, then it's it's going to be GPL or subject to other copyleft license. Squeeze, we are up to 93% of the total packages. World domination oh. isn't here. <laughs> and I, I also uh, forgot to mention the GPLv3 count um, was uh, 630 uh, in, in uh, 2009, and that's only the one that the packages that are specifying the version number, not the packages that might say, for example, or any later version. Um, are you sure you're not revealing some kind of FSF black op here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually was uh, really nervous when I was looking at these numbers earlier because um, I was actually finishing putting the slides up uh, together today and I was like, I, but I, we've looked, so this is what I'm saying, this is a challenge you know, to people here to uh, email me and tell me what was wrong with these numbers <laughs> and this is hopefully how you know, the process of science works here. We, we you know, reproduce each other's experiments and, and end up at a number that's better than what we started with. Um, and now we're up to uh, a 400% increase of a very small number to uh, 3,000 uh, packages under the GPLv3 and squeeze. Do you put your raw data online? Uh, the data is reproducible with the script that I, um, the URL on, <coughs> on the slide, uh, and I can put that back up if people want to do it. So the conclusions, uh, this copyleft being framed, uh, yeah. So uh, first thing to, is to take away from this is to pay attention to the methods. Um, and that's kind of my point when I'm talking about challenging people to find out what's wrong with these numbers is to actually look at how the numbers are generated anytime anybody cites numbers like this. Um, you know, because what these numbers seem to show is when we're talking about within a free software distribution like Debian GNU Linux, uh, GPL, the, the use of uh, the GPL family of license is very high. Um, and either way, you know, no matter whether the conclusion's high or low, don't overstate the, the importance of licensing in terms of the organization's overall goal because licensing is only a tool to get there. So it doesn't mean that free software is failing when there is more free software. Okay, and it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, and uh, yeah, people often think that the FSF doesn't think that BSD or permissively licensed software is free software, but John, in fact, go back to the last slide, you forgot the last bullet. That's very important. This one? Yes. Yeah. Don't forget that non-copyleft free software is still free software. And most of the articles that I've seen about this issue have missed that point. Uh, this is my uh, promotional slide advertisement at the end of the show. Um, you can join the FSF as a member to support our work. Uh, and I have some nice GNU Linux inside stickers to put on your laptop. They're heavy duty and they last if you want one. I have to sell them, not give them away because they're very expensive to produce. Um, so I've taken some questions already, but I want to know there's one back here. Uh, yeah, you too. If it was unable to determine a license for a piece of software, uh, what did it do? Uh, it just doesn't, I don't think there's a count of... Uh, so the tool doesn't try to guess the license of the software starting from source files. Right. The tool looks at the declared, declared license okay. by the data maintainer. Yeah, but so it's always, um, it was always yeah, well, it's in it's in Debian, right? So. In Debian, if it's the GPL, then it's easy to do because you can check for pointing to one of the common so-called common licenses files on the system. 
I think it's part of the Debian process that they don't yeah. accept uh, programs that do not have licenses. Yeah. So, so if there was a missing license field in theory, it wouldn't... What, what you're missing is that the way the script works is it matches the copyright file against the regular expression. If the regular expression matches, then it is counted as a GPL. If the regular expression does not match, then it is not counted as a GPL. And does not regard the software, does not regard there as being any kind of gray. Yeah, it doesn't look at that. I know other, um, uh, some of the other data that we're talking about is generated by actually crawling the, the source code and, and looking for license header files. That's not what this does. It looks at the at the packaging file that's submitted by the Debian developer that packaged the program. Did you plan, or do you plan to run this against other distributions like Fedora? Well, RPM is going to be a little bit different to yeah. set up, but uh, just for comparison. I, I don't know if uh, if I will, but I would love for somebody to. Um, if the methodology is published and etc., we can set up similar stuff for, yeah. for example, for Fedora. Uh, Fedora, for all I know, may already have. Uh, system for doing it. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think it would, it would probably be easier to adapt it to Fedora. Yeah. Oh, um, any, any distribution that has the the packaging format of, uh, and wants to make sure that they have the license to redistribute the software probably has some line about copyright in there. So I'm I'm sorry to cut the discussion off, uh, but we we scheduled tight for all the speakers. Uh, John will be around, and let's thank John for speaking. Thank you. Okay, everybody, so we just listened to John's talk. We just listened to John's talk. Yep. So, uh, we, yeah. And looked at the slides. And we looked at the slides. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, did, I like how somebody asked him if, uh, if that, that there was a Black Ops FSF plan to make Debian all GPL'd. Oh, I couldn't hear because I I couldn't actually hear some of the questions. Oh, I heard I heard it. I turned it up pretty loud. So we'll see if Dan uh, oh, okay. can get that. In case that question's not in there, uh, because uh, if Dan uh, has to cut it because it's not loud enough. So somebody actually asked John if the getting to the ninety three percent GPL software <laughs> was some plan that the FSF had been on for a number of years. Uh, uh, and John actually said he was checking. He, ch he double checked the data because of that because he was so surprised it came out so well. Huh? Uh, which makes sense. Yeah, and I do remember that part. So, uh, yeah, we just listened to it, after all. We did just listen to it. <laughs> so, um, so I, 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 it, was, it was interesting that he was, he was kinder to Black Duck than I would have been, uh, because I've given Black Duck a hard time about that yeah, issue as well. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he was, I don't, I don't think he was particularly kind to them. Well, he only said who they were when somebody in the audience asked who they were. Well, because I appreciate his point, which is that, you know, that those results are not particularly scientific if the methodology is not published. Right. So why talk about it more? True. I mean, that, that's that's the only thing. I mean, people want to know that's that's something else. True. But, you know, if, if you're not familiar with the statistics mm -hmm. that came out of the discussion that already happened, then it's not really that relevant to what the points that John was making. Yeah. And actually, it, I, I was the same way. I tried to be equal opportunity on this. Uh, John didn't mention it, but Google uh, actually published mm -hmm. some results. And Chris DeBona gave a keynote at OzCon oh, two yeah. years ago on it. And I had the same, even though that looked, actually, he showed that AGPL was even increasing mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And I was even critical of that. I said, well, I said, it's great that the numbers are on our side, but something's really wrong here because now we have Google publishing without publishing their methodology right. and saying that GPL is increasing well, and all this stuff. it's a little bit different if somebody gives a presentation, you know, like, you know. Like it, John did? <laughs> I mean, so so I, I was I was equally critical. Even though the Google numbers look 
good for us. Uh, from my point of view, uh, even if the Google numbers look good for us, it, it does, we should still see the methodology. And Google's right. methodology is so ingrained in their search technology that they're never going to publish it because mm -hmm. they're not going to publish how their search algorithms work. Uh, and Black Duck's the same way. Yeah. And Palomita's the same well, way. Well, this is why I'm so glad that John did the work that, um, or the FSF did the work they did. Yeah. I, I think that's really, really important. And we keep seeing numbers all over the place that, that are really difficult to figure out, you know, what they mean and, and whether they're relevant. Like, um, you know, when I was reading an article about, uh, about Ubuntu and what percentage of Ubuntu was GNU. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely low, but they separated out GNOME as being separate from GNU. And as you know, GNOME is part of the GNU yeah, project. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in the G of GNOME. Um, and it's, it's really not, I don't think it's really that genuine to s separate that. On the other hand, you're, you're not just a network object model environment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the G is the most important part of the, the GNOME name. I should email that to RMS. The good is for freedom. I've, I've said that on many occasions. You, you should. I, <laughs> I think he, he, he surely knows. I mean, um, I even, even Jake Applebaum said in his talk, as Karen says, the good is for freedom. Okay. So, um, <laughs> his LCA keynote. But sorry. not open source. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I think, I think that, yeah, I think that's correct when people don't consider Gnome as part of GNU and then they say, well, the, the, of course, and also Ubuntu they claims they're not using Gnome, which is wrong, as you pointed out. Well, it, it, yeah. Because they're using GNOME technologies, as you point out. All they the are time. using some GNOME technologies. are using GNOME technologies. Right. Yeah. Including, and GNOME Solitaire? And, and GNOME Solitaire. As we know. <laughs> Even if they change the card deck. Even if they change the card deck. But that's what you can do with free software. Yeah, of that's like you one can of modify. the great, you can, you can rebrand. Yeah. It's great. But don't get angry at your upstream. Yeah, don't get angry at somebody for updating their software if yeah. you haven't managed to rebrand it in time. Yeah, so as a little, a little pro tip. <laughs> <laughs> so I just don't know at all what we're talking no, about. I'm sorry, that was kind it's of okay. inside. But we, um, we've, we've done that. We've actually made reference to that before. Somebody's going to ask. But, but what probably. was interesting is that the point of that article was that it said so. Whether you call it, you know, whether you call it uh, GNU Linux, Linux, or just Ubuntu, it's all good. And it was really interesting because it sort of just said, you know. It it, it 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 sort of presented these statistics without really. I, I don't know if the methodology was published on any of that actually. So I'm I'm kind of speaking out of turn because I didn't research it. Uh, but it kind of surprised me. No, it, it is indeed your turn to speak. So you're not speaking out of turn. You might be speaking right. I'm speaking. Might be speaking uninformed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm actually not sure. I probably should have researched that before I brought it up here. But um, but no. But the point is, is that is that there's. I think I think going back to what you said uh, a few not, minutes ago, which is that there's lots of numbers out there and there's not rigorous study that I, I, I'm disturbed really that there's not that, that as much as people want to talk about this that the false mole project is the only one trying to be rigorous academically about this issue. Mm -hmm. um, and and John did mention false mole, which I think is a really great project. And when I've asked Black Dog about this, I said, well, there's false mole. Which of course, false mole contradicts their conclusions that if you use the data from false mole, so so they're saying, well, there is data out there that's free and on this issue, and you could use that, and it's like, well, but it contradicts your results, and are you going right. to answer that? No, they don't. So so I, I think I think that, and I actually don't. I mean, to answer, I'll answer John's question because he actually used it as a as a as a as a um, hook, but didn't really answer the question. Is copyleft being framed? I, I'll say that I don't actually think. That there's any, that other than maybe Matt Aslett, Matt Assay types want to frame copyleft and use this data. I don't think Black Duck and, and other Google or anybody's trying to frame copyleft with their 
publishing of these results, I think that the problem is is that other people are picking it up and they want to frame copyleft as it were. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I I just think I think that as John said at the beginning of his talk with his cute cute joke is that his point is that you know I don't is that is that the term is 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 a loose term and he he thought it made a sexy name for the talk and sort of how we talk about these statistics and how we present them makes you know frames it one way or the other i really do think based on listening to his talk that he wasn't actually saying you know are, are people trying to make copyleft look bad um, i think there are people who are I, I mean there surely are some but and they're trying to use they're using this data i don't think the sources of the data are trying to do it i think the sources of the data have problems that we've addressed we've mentioned we haven't addressed them, but we mentioned them. Uh, but I think still there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people who will grab that data and try to use it to make copyleft look bad because there's a, a large anti copyleft contingent. It's just a fact of the matter. I mean, if you look at the open office, LibreOffice fork, it's ultimately is about now copyleft versus non copyleft mm-hmm. in the end. Well, it's about a lot of things. Yeah, but it's about the, but that's that's a big piece of it. Is the is the LibreOffice is LGPL'd and and um, and uh, and OpenOffice is going to be Apache licensed, mm-hmm. presumably if they can actually relicense everything, which is an interesting mm-hmm. question. Um, so I I. I and I, and I think that John's point is correct that there's more free software than ever, and there's a lot of throw it over the wall software, a lot of which is under the Apache license. Yeah. And the value of throw it over the wall software is, I think, in question, uh, because there's a lot of these companies that have released stuff that that may never actually be useful as general purpose software in any sort of sense. And going forward, is 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 that the most valuable software? And that's why I think looking at Debian, because Debian's been through an editorial process, or I mean, or, or look at Fedora, I look at any of the distributions where they've actually chosen the packages that are most useful. What is the percentages for most useful software? And I think John's showing results on that, that a lot of it is copyleft. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the stuff we use the most, the stuff we need the most to put together a free software system is copyleft. Yep. Um, and I was so glad that John made the point, which which I used to have John's job, so I used to have to make this point all the time myself. And it's, it's kind of sad that 10 years later, uh, you still have to make that point all the time. Is that is the free the FSF's position is not that copyleft is the only free software. I license. know. I was going to say exactly that here. That I was so glad that John mentioned it in here because I can't tell you how many times that I'm asked that question or or people say, oh well, you know, a um, a permissive license isn't free according to the FSF. I mean, people people say that all the time. I was so glad that he clarified that. Years too, and and they don't they don't understand at all. That's like people saying that um, that open source software isn't free software. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it, well, that, but that is true in some side cases, as it turns out. But uh, because OSI has accepted licenses that are non-free licenses. But I would actually argue that the OSI um, criteria match the four freedoms sufficiently that if someone, if those same group of people were reading the four freedoms, they probably would have accepted those other licenses is free. I don't know. I, I, I mean, the OSI has accepted non-free licenses and they've rejected licenses that the FSF considers free software. So the lists are not No, but the areas that they aren't are, it's not, not very many licenses. Agreed. It, it's a, it's a, yeah. a few side licenses. Um, this recent thing about CC0, and now that CC0 has been withdrawn from submission to OSI and CC0 is a free software mm-hmm. license, but is unknown if it's open source. I mean, this is an, another case. Um, well, unknown if it's OSI approved. Well, OSI believes they have the right to decide what is open source. They just can't say it that way because they couldn't get a trademark. But I, 
Uh, okay, I, I would say that that actually though, what they can say is whether it's OSI approved. So it's not saying whether because it's there's open no source. trademark on open source. Is that what your argument is? I mean, my argument is that what the the seal that they add to licenses that they approve is OSI approved. And they also say it is an open source license. They just and, can't in their opinion, it, but their they're opinion. not. I mean, I well, they believe their they believe their authority on what is and is not open source. Yep. And so are you disputing whether they're the authority on what is not? I'm calling Karen I'm, now. <laughs> I'm saying that you know I'm saying that we've got these unnecessary distinctions and that and that yeah. what's really at issue is whether or not it meets the criteria for open source, which are are, are really in, upon reading reflect the four freedoms. Yeah. Then the way I've tried to frame this to stop trolling Karen, are I've you tried framing to, it. I, I, I well, I try to I try to to organize the thought about it by saying you observe software at an instant of its distribution and you, the determination of whether it's free soft, uh, software or not, i.e. gives you the four freedoms, can only be determined at that moment of distribution, right? Because in fact, GPL software distributed out of compliance with the GPL is often non-free effectively because you don't get any of the freedoms because somebody's violating the GPL. So even though it's GPL software, it's not free software at that moment because it's in violation of GPL. And the same thing's true of permissively licensed software that's distributed as part of a proprietary program. It's non-free when you observe it as proprietarized permissively licensed software, but when you observe well, it as permissively licensed software. the notices are maintained. And, but it's non-free. Yeah. But, but if you observe the- But the, I would say that the piece that was modified still remains free. Well, it depends on how it was. It depends on if there yeah, is a right, modified distribution. I agree with that. And, and one, I've always encouraged people to think in terms of, of look at a given distribution of software and decide whether it's free software rather than trying to say in a general sense. And that, that really kills well, this is copyleft, is, is non copyleft free? Well, it is free some of the time. And copyleft is free most of the time, but there's lots of violations, which makes it non free. But that seems like a really sneaky way of, of getting around the fact that, um, that categorizing licenses is useful well is categorizing license useful I, I guess Fontana I, we'll hear his talk later he would argue maybe it's not right? see I actually haven't heard his talk yet I wasn't in so, the room for that anyway so when we talk about his talk we'll, we'll, we'll re okay. re re reconvene this question of, uh, of is categorizing license useful and, and I, I think that I think people have some very confused uh, opinions and beliefs about this. Uh, I, I was on a call with somebody who uh, recently uh, who claims to be an expert in open source uh, policy and has been working on it for 12 years. And they, uh, again, made the confusion that, that only copyleft software is free software. That happens a lot. Yeah. From people who have been involved, and actually, it it sometimes happens more with people who have been involved in a long time, who've been a lot involved for a long time, because a lot of these terminology wars are, are old. Mm -hmm. But, but that's not a terminology. An, we're more war. of an issue. That's not part of a terminology. Well, war. it results from the terminology war. I don't agree because with that. there's confusion when the FSF says we don't want to talk about open source. We don't, you know, we won't use the term open source. We won't talk to you if you only use the term open source. That implies that there's some real division but it's not a conceptual division it's not it's not that the fsf doesn't want to talk about freedom when somebody uses the term open source it's you know it's complicated that's all well i think people should do better research especially if they i think so too yeah i, I, I it's it, it's it's unfortunate i i i i'm amazed at at how much i mean conversely when the osi won't say freedom anywhere you know uh, in their materials it's you know yeah that's weird what's what, what's with that I, yeah, it, it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a strange thing. Well, I mean that, but that was what OSI was established for was to not talk about freedom and the founders. But of it's OSI but have it's so that. old now. 
I don't know. They, they, they've never retracted that position. So they've never said we made a mistake and we should have talked about freedom more or, let's, or let's conversely. Let's save this for another episode. Maybe we should invite Simon Phipps on as a guest. Um, yeah, but Simon Phipps is just one board member of the OSI. He doesn't, well, he's, he's a, not but the president. He's, he's a clear spokesperson for them. He presented uh, he presented on OSI's behalf at FOSDEM, for example. Gotcha. He keynoted about uh, on behalf of OSI. Yeah, that's true. Yep. But, uh, well, I, <laughs> I, I mean, g- given uh, well, I, whether I want Simon Phipps on is an interesting question. Uh, we'll talk about it offline. Okay. Well, that's. Uh, I mean, I guess. Off I guess the, people, can, people can write in, and I, and I guess if people write in and say, "Well, actually, we have this. Pro- we have a technical problem because we we ever since the new show, we've never really sorted out how to have guests uh, in a good way." Well, I think we now have the technology for willing guests. They have um, to do a little bit of extra effort. Well, they have to record on their end. I think exactly. Is what we're down to. But I actually was talking to a reporter at a reputable uh, media outlet earlier this week who suggested that I do that for him too. So it's not. Is that oh that's becoming a common thing? So huh? it's yeah it's it's Record not uncommon now. Yeah, hmm. makes well, sense. That's, that's good. Yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's very useful. I, I'm amazed the, the the people. I mean, I Simon Phipps is a co-host of a show that's a completely Skype based show. Uh, I was on it and they called me on a PSTN line, so I didn't have to use Skype, but. The, the, this is how this were. came up, actually, was that I, I told the person who was wanted to interview me that I didn't want to use Skype um, and why. And so he suggested that I record locally and we just talk over the phone. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they recorded me. I didn't sound that bad on. Do you think I sounded that bad on Floss Weekly? I don't think I did. I don't um, think so. But I was just called. It was a while ago. Yeah, I was called from a PS. I was called via PSTN line, which actually then linked into the Asterix server that I was on, mm-hmm. which was a free software Asterix server, of course, uh, and, and and just came from our PSTN provider, and it sounded okay. So I I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it would have been better. I offered to record on my end, and they were like, they didn't they don't do any editing, so they just put out whatever the Skype feed right. recorded. So and then they promote Netflix, which is. We uh, have free. we have some editing thanks to producer Dan. Yes, that's true. So uh, so I hope folks have enjoyed this talk. There's more to come, uh, and uh, and we may hit a moment where we'll have even more talks to record, and we'll be finishing these. So we could be talk focused for a long time. Well, I don't know We've, if it gets to be too much. We might also enter, you know, like put in one or two full episodes in the middle there because I mean obviously Fosdem was a while ago now there's no reason why we can't delay another two weeks for some of the talks I guess that's true but anyway. yeah none of them were particularly time sensitive so okay well that's the plan then I guess I don't know we'll see okay so uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Free and Freedom and uh, listen again uh, for the next episode thanks for listening Free and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Free and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Free and Freedom, Bradley and Karen, on Identica and also read Bradley and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Free and Freedom website, faif.us. That's faith.us. Is it funny if I if I say we just heard John's talk?
This is so fake because now you're recording it and you're pretending like you, you're going to sneak it by me that you're recording something no, for our funny excerpt. I know, but I wanted to start <laughs> recording it because what was what, we, what I just said you spontaneously thought was funny. What Bradley just said was, okay, so we just listened to John's talk. Just setting the mood. <laughs> Isn't that the right thing to do? <laughs> what else have we done? Well, we hadn't actually. I was trying but to... We, we listen. We both listened to it earlier today. Yes. But but we want to make it so like we just listen, so the listeners have our natural we just, reaction. Well, we just introduced it. That's true. So. But I but I was trying to set the. I think. Okay. So we just listened to John's talk. We just listened to John's talk. And now we're going to talk about John's. Talk. All right.